Now, beloved, will you turn to this James, the fourth chapter? Verse 13. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city. And continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the mark. Ye know not what shall be on the mark. Now this passage to which I've referred tonight is one that I don't think I've ever preached on. It's here many, many times, but it's in this passage in, in James. And the apostle says, Go to now. Go to now. Ye that say, Today I'll do this. Tomorrow I'll do this. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while for a short time and it vanisheth away ye ought to say if the Lord will we shall live and do this and that how be it now ye rejoice in your boastings all such rejoicing is evil Now, God wants us to know certain things, and they're outlined in this text for us. The first thing he wants you to know and me to know, that the future is in his hands. The future is in the hands of God. And he is telling us here that so far as our knowledge is concerned, we don't even know what a day will bring forth. And you ought not to make your plans for tomorrow without the understanding that you'll be able to carry them out if the Lord wills. And we are a people who live by the mercy of God. The mercy of God. And the Lord is the one who gives you tomorrow. You don't give it to yourself. The Lord is the one who gives you next week. You don't give it to yourself. The Lord is the one who gives us the days that we have in which to serve him. He's the one. Now, in this text, beloved, there's something that I'm sure the ordinary person doesn't say, but what the Lord is telling you and me is that our lives don't belong to ourselves. He holds them in his hand. He has a decision as to how long they'll last and how long we'll be here. That's not in our power. And consequently, the Lord God of heaven and earth is the one who is sovereign and he knows our uprisings, our downsittings. He knows all there is to know about us and we must recognize his place of sovereignty over us. He's telling us you don't know what an hour is going to bring forth. 
and don't get up and pretend like you do and if you have sort of a haughty attitude about the use of your life that kind of boasting is sin and he calls it sin and when an accident like this takes place and a man who's 36 years of age a fine young preacher Another man who's 31 years of age going out starting an independent Baptist church separated from the apostasy. Two preachers of such gifts and such devotion, such promise, such dedication are snatched away from the church. We have to stop at this point and say that our lives, our ministries, our years are all in the hands of God. And every one of us must recognize it and we ought to live with that sort of an understanding every day that we live. The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. And uh, uh, then Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. And when you get to the place where you recognize what James is talking about in this passage, then you understand that you don't have anything that you can claim. You can't claim tomorrow. When you get to this place where you realize that you don't have anything that you have a right to hold on to, you can't hold on to tomorrow. When you get to that place, then you're in the place where everything you do from that time on is done with the full acknowledgement that you are trusting God and depending upon God. And if God wants to take you home, that's perfectly all right. He has a right to do it. Isn't it interesting how we tie ourselves on to each other? Isn't that how we bind ourselves up? We, uh, we, we get so secure in our little family ties and our little family circles in these matters that somehow or other, if God reaches down and takes somebody away, we want to get mad at God. Isn't it interesting that we get to the place where we think that God owes us something and God uh, has got to do this for me and God's got to do that for me? No, beloved, you need to thank God every day you live for what He's given you and if He's given you a family and He's given you some children, thank God for them every day and thank God that He let you have them for the next day. God hasn't promised you that He'll give you your children for 60 years. He hasn't promised you that he'll give your children for 30 years. He's promised you that he will take care of you and that his children belong to him where you put them and where you recognize they belong. And he has a right to take them whenever he gets ready to do so. Ye know not what a day may bring forth. And what the great apostle is saying here is that you and I must live in the conscious presence of God and our total and complete dependence upon him. Now the second thing that you see in this text is that he proceeds to tell us that our life is like a vapor. He says, turn and look at yourselves for just a moment. He says, your life is, is like a fog. It's like a little vapor that appeareth for a little while, for a short time, he says here. And then it just vanishes away. 
And all you and I need to do is to go out in the morning and see the little fog that we have here, the little patches of it, and we drive through it. Or uh, In this season of the year especially do we have some of it. And the next time you hit a little patch of fog and drive through it, say, well, this is what my life is like. It's just like this. And then the sun arises and the uh, uh, rays and the warmth of the sun dissipates the vapor. It's gone for that moment. And that, he says, is what your life is. Beloved, you and I must recognize that the little span that we have at the longest, if we have that much time, is just a little phase. There's not anything to it to speak of in comparison to all the eternities that have been and to even the time that we call human history. Who are you and who am I with a little lifespan of 60 or 70 or 75 years or maybe 90 years at the most? Who are you, beloved? Just a little phase that appeareth for a few moments and then it vanishes away. And God has ways of bringing these lessons home to his people and home to his church. And sometimes an accident such as this, when he reaches in and takes away the choicest of our preachers away from us, and these young men, he says, remember, I've told you, your life is just a vapor. It's a little fog. And you have no lease on it. You have no control over it. You have nothing to do with the time when I'm going to take you away. Isn't it interesting, beloved, that you and I had nothing to do with our entrance into this world? Not a thing. We had absolutely nothing to do with our generation and with our coming into this world. Nothing. And furthermore, we have nothing to do with our departure from this earth. You can take your life in suicide. Of course, that's sin. But I'm speaking now of those of us who believe that life is sacred and we're redeemed and we're in the hands of the Lord and that choice is His as to the time and the circumstances and the conditions under which we'll take leave and then they'll lay our body to rest in the grave to await the resurrection day. The time of our entrance was not in our choice. The time of our departure is not in our choice. And what is it? Just a vapor. Just a vapor. That's all. And all you need to do is to have a head-on collision with another automobile coming 50 miles an hour and your car going 50 miles an hour and you double the speed of both cars and you have a speed of 100 miles an hour into a solid wall of steel and in the flash of that shock you're taken into the presence of the Almighty God. And it's happening all the time. It's happening every day. You're having all manner of crashes. And who knows when it's going to strike your house or your home or come into where you have a circle of friends. And who knows when it's going to leave four little children sitting here alone without a mother or a father. Beloved... You have to be a Christian to have an answer to these things. You have to be a Christian to understand 
that there's a righteous and a holy God who gave us our redemption by the blood of his son and by the gift of the lamb and that in that gift and in that sacrifice and in that redemption God has brought us to himself we've been purchased we don't belong to ourselves anymore we belong to the Lord and as his servants, as his children, as his purchased possession, he has a right to us to do with us what he pleases. And he knows the end from the beginning. And in his judgments there's wisdom and knowledge beyond that that any of us could possibly attain. Your life is a vapor. Isn't it interesting we get down into this next section? I'm not going into it tonight, but he says, Ye rich man, weep and howl. You laid up your money for your old age. And you're not going to live to be an old man. You're not going to live that long. I'm going to take it away from you. You rich man, look what you did to your labors out here. You withheld the just wage from them. And now your wealth is going to canker on your hands. Your wealth can't deal with a vapor that just vanishes. And what James is talking about here is that he wants every one of us to realize that we are simply alone and we're helpless and we have no power whatsoever to do with these great questions of life and eternity. Everything has to be done for us by the Almighty God. Everything has to be accomplished for us by the God who gave us birth in the first place, by the God who gave us a second birth in the, third, in the second place, and by a God who opens up the door of heaven and calls us home in the third place. Now when you talk about this vapor, and naturally you, you see a shock, and in this case you've got four little children here, one 12 years old, one nine, one seven, one five. And then you turn to this Bible and you find that the Lord has promised to take care of the orphans. That's one of his promises. And it means that in his wisdom and in his providence, there are orphans for us to take care of. And they announced there this afternoon that the First Baptist Church, a little church there with 77 in the Sunday school today, has started a trust fund for the children. They're going to start a little trust fund. Their pastor just left them and his wife left. And they spoke so beautifully of her and what she meant in the whole life of the church. And sitting right here on his seat was a little boy, 12 years of age. And alongside of him was his grandfather, Mr. Scott, the father of the, of the mother. He was there. And as I preached, I saw, the, I saw the expression in his eyes and his face. And, and I knew that the word was getting through to his heart because I knew he believed it. When they came in and sat down, and he sat there and he bowed his head, and I saw him just shaking his head, shaking his head, shaking his head. And 
And after it's over, I went over to Chicago's, and he'd been with us on, when we'd gone to the airport. And he said, Dr. McIntyre, thank you for coming. He says, the Lord's going to give me strength. It's a precious testimony. Precious testimony. But this little boy, he just listened. His eyes were red. He just listened. Looked up as the different men spoke and as I brought this message. And, you know, these things that go before, you see God's hand in them. Mr. John Milheim had been out there in February when we had a big rally, went down in the snow, and we're all through there. And Mr. Milheim had been at their house, and the little boy, Scotty, they call him, had told Mr. Milheim that he was 12, and he said that he was going to be a preacher. He was going to be a preacher. And he's such a healthy, wholesome-looking fellow, 12 years of age. Mr. Milheim said, I came back again, he said, on this round little before the Harrisburg meeting, and he said, I was there, and I met Scotty again. He came over, and he was so interested, and he was interested in getting uh, some of this material that we had. And he said that, uh, I said to him, I said, you're still going to be a preacher? Oh, yes, he says, I'm going to be preaching just like my daddy. We'll be a preacher just like my daddy. Of course, his daddy knew that and his mother knew that before he were taken. But after the service was over, I spoke to the little boy and I said, Scotty, are you going to be a preacher? Yes, I'm going to preach. Twelve years of age. That's in his heart. His mother and father are both gone. He's an orphan now. I didn't say anything about it, but I wished I was able. Maybe we can arrange it to let the 20th Century Reformation Hour, because they did so much to promote it, set up a scholarship fund and pay his way through Shelton College when he gets old enough. Something like that ought to be done for the boy. But you see, you have to have orphans before you can get ideas like this. You have to have things like this happen before people can move and... It takes something like this to pack out a church. It takes something like this to bring the whole town into the, into the church. It takes something like this to do it. And then when you get them all there and they're all in the presence of the shock of it all, you're able to turn and speak of the Lord and the faithfulness of this preacher to the things of God. And, oh, beloved, my plea and my prayer, and I'm going to speak of it on our network stations across the nation, is that God will use the departure of these two young preachers, 36 and 31, to bring us a dozen preachers. And to bring some of these men who are just hesitant, so some of these men who are just, well, I, I, my life, I, I, I thought I'd do this, and well, I'm just wasting my time, and lay it upon the hearts of some men to say, here, woe be unto me if I don't get me a pulpit somewhere and go to building a church where this word is going to be preached and where we have the answers to vapors and where we have the answer to the fog and where we have the answer to tomorrow. The answer to tomorrow. Notice what he says here. Your life is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while 
and then vanisheth away. My friend, you're going to vanish, and I'm going to vanish. And you know what we say in our usual term of life? Well, he passed away. Mr. Jones, oh yes, I remember him. He passed away. Oh yes, I remember her. She was here. She, she passed away. She passed away. Just passed away. Passed away. Brother, what did you leave behind you? What did you accomplish? What did you do with your life? How did you spend the days that the Lord gave you? Did you waste them? Were they spent in vanities? Were they spent in the pleasures of this world and the pleasures of sin which are but for a season? Is that the way you spent your days? Is that the way you spent your years? Or were you helping to build a church and to build a life and to build some character? Is that what you were trying to do? The man who owns the radio station out there, one of the stations I'm on was there and he came over to me this afternoon at the close. He said, oh, Dr. McIntyre. He said, to think that you would come out here for this. I said, yes, I would come for this. And he said, nothing would have pleased Bob any more than for you to come and to make the appeal. And I says, brother, I says, I want to get this on your radio station. I says, I want everybody everywhere to understand that when a tragedy like this happens, it's my task as a minister of Jesus Christ to talk about vapors. It's my task as a minister of Jesus Christ to talk about these people who are boasting of tomorrow. It's my task to talk about these people who are heaping up for themselves treasures against the last day. And it's their security and their life and their plans and their everything. And God is left out of it. And God must be brought into it. This week while I was down at Cape May, I had some people come in there from Michigan. Two couples from up in Jackson, Michigan. And they listened to our broadcast and they're two very fine gentlemen. And they were so happy we had a chance to talk to them in it. And one of the men turned and said, Dr. McIntyre, he says, you know, as I look at the situation, he says, everywhere you turn, he says, they're trying to destroy the individual. They're undermining integrity and moral morality. I said, that's right. He says, in the second place, they're tearing down the family. Everywhere you go, he says, it's the family that's being slaughtered. It's the family that's being destroyed. And then he said, in the third place, Dr. McIntyre, he says, it's our country they're getting at. Our heritage, they're destroying it. And then he said, in the fourth place, he says, they're telling us God is dead and they're attacking God. And he says, you start out with the individual. You destroy the family. You destroy your country. And then you end up with no God. And he says, what do we have left? And I say, sir, you've got the situation sized up right. Our God is under attack. Our country's under attack with its freedom. Our homes are under attack. And every man is under attack. Character, integrity, that which makes a man a man in Christ is under assault today. We need preachers. We need paisleys. We need men who will raise these questions and who will go out and when an hour like this comes and the providence of God strikes, we stand up to that great providence and we say, Lord, as thy servants, thy will be done. Those two preachers are in heaven. Nobody that understands what heaven's like would ask him to come back. Not a soul would ask him to come back. In fact, I'd like to be there myself right now. Nothing wrong with that idea. Heaven is a place prepared. I go to prepare a place for you. It's a place prepared. Oh, beloved. 
Talk about these prepared places. Any of you folks ever have a mother? You come home after you've been off on a long trip? Any of you have a nice, a nice wife that loves you and takes care of you? And you come home after a long trip? There's some things prepared for you. And when you get home, you're going to find them. Everything's just been prepared and everything's so nice. And I've gotten to where I kind of like to go away so I can come back. I really do. I like to go away so I can come back. I know I'm going to have something prepared. Heaven is a place prepared. And do you mean to say that God created this whole earth in six days and rested on the seventh day? And this was the place that he made for man to dwell in. And man came in and ruined the whole affair by his sin. And then do you mean to say that Jesus says, I'm going up there to prepare one for you in my Father's house. And heaven is a place prepared. And no wonder Paul says, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. No wonder Paul said to me, to live is Christ. It's Christ, my Lord, my Redeemer. I want to live for Him. And I want Him to be magnified in my life, whether it be by death or whether it be by life. I want Him to be magnified in this body in which I well, I want men to know that I belong to Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. But, beloved, it's more than that. Not only is heaven a place prepared, but there must be a, a prepared people. You've got to be ready to go. Be ye also ready. For an hour that you think not. And oh beloved who knows when you're driving down that road. Who knows that when you're going to run into some fool that been drinking or something else that you're taking like that. Who knows, who knows. You don't know what a day or an hour may bring forth. And beloved I said you have no choice in coming into this world. You arrived. And you have no choice in going out of this world. The Lord takes you. But you do have a choice as to where you're going to spend eternity. And that choice has to be made here and now. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. And here we came, not by our own choosing. Here we go, not by our own decision. But here in this world of sin and darkness where we're little vapors, God says, listen to the word, listen to the gospel, hear the message, receive the gift of everlasting life. And you'll go home to be with Christ. You know, years ago, the day we dedicated this ground, we stood out here and broke ground. One of the elders of this church, Widener Tisk, and his father-in-law were killed in the same identical kind of a crash right here on this bridge. It's a Delaware bridge. And they were going over there, and... Somebody got out of line and smashed into them, and they went out just like that. And uh, they sent for me, and I had to go over to the Philadelphia morgue and identify. And then I went to the hospital. You know, I very seldom ever go over that Ben Franklin Bridge. I, I tell you the spot where it was. 
I go to that bridge week after week. I very seldom go over it. But what I don't, uh, I don't look at that spot and think that that was the place where Widener Tiss went to glory. That's the place where he went to glory right there. This afternoon we went down the highway. I said, where's this place? They said, well, it's that red building down there. It's a police barracks. It's about, uh, about 500 yards just the other side of that. Well... Why we turned off another road and didn't go down there. But where was the place where these fellows took off for heaven? <laughs> Where's the place where they made their they made their escape and they left this old world and went into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? Beloved, we believe that when you leave this earth, there's not a thing in the world or heaven or hell that can stop you from getting into the presence of Christ. That road's been cleared out of the way. And to be absent from the body is to go present into the very presence of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this afternoon as we got this great message and there's that great crowd there moved by the Spirit of God, folks, it's faith, it's faith, it's faith, it's faith, it's faith that gives us to believe that God's ways are best. Thy will be done, O Lord, not my will. It's not the way I want to do tomorrow. I, I'm planning, but Lord, it's in thy hands and we'll give thee the credit for it. And beloved, you live every day with Jesus. You don't neglect him. You don't forget him. You don't put him out of your plans. You don't put him out of your thoughts. He walks with me and he talks with me. And you live your life in Jesus Christ. And when he says it's finished, he will call you home into his presence to be with him for all eternity. Now the last thing that you have in this text. But, ye, but now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is sin. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Beloved, down here, you and I are dealing with sin. It's sin that caused death. It's sin that made our life a vapor. If there'd been no sin, there'd been no death. If there'd been no sin, there'd been no vapors. If there'd been no sin, we would have received the gift of a life that would never, never have ended. But beloved, it's come and here it is. And now it's the sin that brings death. It's the sin that we hate. It's the sin that we turn from. And only in Jesus Christ can we find any deliverance from it. And any hope of peace and comfort in it. Jesus Christ said there in the 14th chapter of John, if I go away. He says, I'll not leave you comfortless. He says, I go to my Father. But he says... I will come to you. He's at the right hand of the Father tonight, but he comes to us. He comes to us. And when he comes, he, he tells us that uh, what God has promised, he's going to fulfill. He comes and tells us that God has all things in his perfect providence, his perfect hand. And we bow before them and we say, Lord... Thy perfect will be done. The sooner we learn how to say it, the sooner we stop trying to blame God, the sooner we recognize that we're in His care, His hands, and He is the one who makes these decisions in His providence as they concern us. The happier we'll be and the greater work we'll do for Him.
the greater work we'll do for him. Let us pray. Our Father, Thou didst take these two preachers from their little churches. And we think of these four little orphans tonight, and we think of the three other little children. Spare their mother that she may be able to go on and rear them. But Lord, it came so close to us all because these were the kind of men that stood where we stand and were fighting and working and not ashamed.